I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, Paul Giamatti, and America Ferreira. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. I am Drew Taylor, joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, Charles Hood. How you doing, Charles? I feel good, Drew. How do you feel? I feel great. I mean, I'm here. I'm with you. We've got a great episode. I mean, there's not a lot to complain about. You know what I mean? Yeah, you sound good. I mean, you got a little. There's a little bit of sing-songy vibe there while you're while you're talking. It's good. Sounds like you're excited. I'm drinking my liquid IV. I've got a feeling spicy. Yeah, great. <laughs> not a sponsor, but just you know, a good product. I just want yeah. to say. Okay. Um, cool. What's going on with you? Uh, I'm I, I'm great. Everything's good, man. I mean, I got a nice adjustment from the chiropractor today. Everything's great. I feel like a, a brand new man. Your spine is aligned. Yes. So everything's good. You know, I'm just excited. I'm and I'm super excited to have James Mather back on the show, as we had him a year ago, but also for part two of this interview, for people to hear this. It's just, uh, you know, the scope, the scale of the sound work in this movie. It's uh, it's pretty massive. It's a, it's a really uh, it's quite an undertaking, I'm sure, for him to take on all this. And it's just awesome to dig into it and hear about the work. You know, we love to highlight the work of these amazing craftsmen and craftswomen who make these movies. Yeah, he is also just a lovely guy. And during the interview, his wife was making dinner, and we could sort of I could see him kind of looking towards the kitchen. When are we going to get cut off? When is he going to eat his dinner? Uh, but I think it all worked out. I think he, I think it all timing worked. But he always looks very cozy wherever he is, and he had a nice fire going. It was just, it was lovely, absolutely lovely. Yes, there was a, it was a nice little fireplace behind him. I don't know if we, if that part made it into the, uh, into the actual interview, but we did comment on that at one point. There's yes. a very nice cozy fireplace behind him. Is there anything that we need to set up in this episode, Charles? I don't think so. We just uh, have more great stuff. Just talking about Dead Reckoning Part One. I'm excited about some of the things that we get into, and I'm, I'm uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Well, if you want to hear the actual work that James has done, you can rent or buy Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning uh, digitally, and you can also buy it on physical media, which we always love. Do you, you've you've had kind of a physical media renaissance. I feel like in the last yes, few months. 
I kind of dropped off a little bit. A bit I've got some of somewhat with your urging. I feel like I, I've been collecting 4Ks this year, and it's been a awesome time. I, I sort of I used to keep all my discs hidden away in those Case Logic zipper, you know, packs, and I had you know they hold like 200 discs or whatever. But now I've put them back into their cases, and I've got a closet that highlights that displays them all. And uh, it's been great. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm all in on physical media. I, I'm. It's been great to watch discs instead of streaming recently. Yeah. Well, if you want to watch streaming, though, I, I will say that the first six Mission Impossible movies are on Paramount Plus right now. Okay. Yeah. Now, now that I say I, I prefer disc, I will say that there is a good amount of streaming that's happening in my home as well because it's just so convenient. Yes, and there's so much stuff. <laughs> just to be a total hypocrite, I'll go back. But there's just you know some of my favorite movies I've got on 4K, and I've got I, I can, it's very easy for me for me to just press a button and just watch it. Uh, but it's like I want to put in a little extra effort and go go to that closet, get the disc, put it in, appreciate it at its highest possible quality, including Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, which you have yes. on 4K disc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think James would want you to play that disc as well. So do that after you listen to this interview and we'll be back afterwards but the movie is is interesting in that it's it's shot very differently than the other ones there's a lot of close-ups yeah uh there's there's less emphasis on sort of geographic relationships between characters and i was wondering if you were called upon to kind of establish those things that maybe in the past would have been established visually, but are now on you in the audio mix. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, everywhere you go the, from the desert storm where you kind of, uh, it's really a lot, it's really a music opportunity where the, you know, the reveal of the dunes. And, and then at one point it was almost Lawrence of Arabia-esque. It was just this, wow, expansive. And Lorne had done this beautiful sweeping score and, and that's we just sit back you know take the music out and there's a few gusts <laughs> that's about it and you get to, <laughs> okay oh i really hope the music's gonna come in <laughs> i don't know what else we can put here <laughs> and they do and it's beautiful and then it's the same with venice you know you, you get there and you go well what do we know about venice there's bells there's there's bells everywhere it's an amazing city for bells so we have umpteen different Churches all in vision, uh, but the whole point of Venice is just what's happened and the come down from what's just happened and them regrouping and considering their options. And it's not about the place. And that's what I think this one is doing. That's why you're right. This one is different because of it's, it's not like we're setting up a new place, therefore a new chapter in the adventure. It's like the place that we're going to is a haven or a respite or a, a jump off into the next into the next um chapter but it's it, they're not as they're not as uh the the reveals and the and the scale aren't necessarily as prescriptive as they have been in the past they've just got they're just much more in, in the dna of the storyline and i think that's where this film is different it, the, the storyline and the drama throughout feels much more I don't say it, but it's le way less episodic. It doesn't have that kind of right there, 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 there. It's like no, no, no. We're just moving through with these guys, and they're taking us on this, on this really tricky journey. Was there anything special about the uh, the bomb at the airport? The like with the kind of um, you know, like almost like slot machine wheels that go around. Like, what were the sounds you used for for putting that together? 
I don't know why. I don't know why in this version, this this movie, and, and we didn't do it in the others, but I kept trying to introduce kind of a hectic uh, sound element throughout the movie. So when we're seeing Ethan's um, glasses vision and you've got these kind of little signatures of what, who's got what, where and when and where it's gone now, and I kept, I, I kept trying to put in this hectic sound. I don't know. I don't know whether I've just been using my phone on vibrate more and I've got used to this kind of and this, so it's not necessarily a sound. It's a, it's a tapping that you a sensation that alerts you. And it didn't work really in those areas. It just didn't seem to, it's like, we know the language of things and we expect to hear a sound that works with those. And, and so I kind of did, I lost that. I lost that battle, but the, but the bomb, was the perfect opportunity to go hectic it was like it's it's gonna the hectic sound has got the, a slightly mechanical element to it and so it felt very much like oh that's nice that that kind of working on the cogs let's just have it when it's spinning let's have a little servo in there as well so we're kind of describing this very slick motor mechanical harking back a little bit to turing and the you know the, the old second world war computers that were used um, of the cogs turning and then <laughs> and then it was like the last ingredient we got it going it was good and then it was like should we try the entity there <laughs> 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 and so it's like the entity has become this elastic band which is so finely stretched and we got it and we're like yes okay let's put ah let's just have it on those little bits a little bit of entity Da-da-da-da on the last bits of the cogs turning. So this, again, you know, it's like going back, looking back at the feast you've been going, right, we'll put a bit on there and a bit on there. And it was just a pinch on there. And everything that could possibly have a nuance had it in one degree or another. And that, that, that bomb was like, it's the entity. So let's make it the entity. And that just, again, the haptic sound kind of had to take a back seat because the entity was doing a better job. Um, but we had a lot of fun with that, and it was it was also like let's just make, let's try not to make it a bigger deal than it is. Actually, it's just doing its thing. It's not changing pitch as it gets closer to the final reveal. It's not you know it's not a music box. It's not. It is just doing its thing. It's just dials turning. We don't know what the end thing is, um, and the music is is helping us get the suspense that 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 McHugh wanted. What about the 80s uh, version of the IMF that we get to see? <laughs> we get to see a little bit more of it on the deleted scenes, but um, yeah, you know, all the 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 tube televisions and all of that. What, what was it like creating that sound? That was fun, man. That was so much fun. So much time spent on YouTube. I was going through all my old favorite shows. I was a bit where Steve Austin title scene, and it's got this kind of, hard disk teleprinter sound and i was like oh yeah yeah i remember that six million dollar man let's watch that and uh i played it and i was like oh it's brilliant it's like so crusty and it's so <laughs> analog and <laughs> so that opened a whole bank of like what else what else were they and so we just go through see go through old tv shows and you know telephones everything they unfortunately we couldn't feature all the sounds that we wanted to because there was dialogue. We're like, <laughs> oh man, it's talking those great, those great big quarter inch tape. We went to an old studio that still had an Atari 
a like three inch recording thing and you, you press stop and it's like mm. it takes forever to unstop and wind it and then you press go and it goes as it takes off again and we had all this so much fun playing around with nerdy stuff like that and enough of it came through i hope enough of it came through but again it was it was like it was a long seat longer scene at one point and we had a moment a bit like the dog reading i still remember the like static sound of my old, old tube television growing up like, oh having... i love that yeah <laughs> and it just it just and it's when you turn things off and they start to crackle i mean lights do it still it's, 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 like it's a pinking car engine sound that everything's cooling down and it's yeah i love all that stuff i love that can you talk about the uh the motorcycle jump I mean that that moment when that plays in theaters. Who saw that coming? I mean, when when that when that jump happens, <laughs> and then it just like, what sounds do you have in there? Because it it really drops out, and then you just you can you can hear people gasping. You can like it was such yeah. a fun moment to experience in the theater. You know what what, what was that always? And was that always the plan to kind of cut everything out there? Or what, what was here? Yeah, yeah. The dynamic shift had to be as big as we could make it. A bit like the halo jump you know where he jumps out of the plane and then gets hit by lightning and we had to do that similar kind of device of of how far to zero can we take it before we cut back in and uh it's weird when you do a scene that people know and expect to see i know it's in the movie but obviously they don't see it in the version that you're doing that the final version there's so many side stories to this scene <laughs> I'll I'll leave the fact that my bike got nicked and my my insurance company didn't pay out because they thought I'd used it in the stunt of the, what? <laughs> I'm, like, so I'm not that daft. <laughs> we used it to record the sound we didn't drive it off a cliff. That's Tom. <laughs> we don't do that. Um so the whole you know, we we love the vehicles in these movies because they are so testing and taxing. You've got to make them absolutely like totally plausible you can't make them sound you can't have a rev on a de decelerate hand move you can't have it's just going to be absolutely bang on because everybody who rides a bike is going to know exactly that's not right the moment they see it and that's like blown it it's got to be twitch you know throttle perfect and that scene the getting the getting the texture of the bike going over the ground that was that was tricky getting it building up was was i mean it's music it's that's the only thing that can give you that wow that that moment but as it goes down we just introduce this tiny whine it's like this pathetic kind of bike trying please I don't want to <laughs> and it's like do we should we have some flapping cloth for ethan as he's falling it was like yeah yeah, we can do it with that. And the bike, I think, is the only sound you really hear. You've got some air, which is really neutral. And it kind of helps you see, wow, there's a big, that's a big space. And then you get this tiny thing. And we, we then cut to Ethan's free falling. And we're playing it to Tom. And he's listening to it remotely because he had a theatre where he was. So we were dialing in our theatre so he could hear this mix coming from our stage and he's like guys it's it's not loud enough I'm like, okay we'll push it up 3 dp no guys honestly it's not loud enough okay and you know we're a little bit tired i think a lot of effects mixer just went all right there you go poof and whack the fader up and it was like 
that's Tom, and it's not in a break for the studio. Tom, you can just hear his voice coming out of the, the speaker back to us. That's it. That's it. That's exactly what it's like. Is that is that the shot when it cut? Like, because I was going to ask about like what the, they the insane moment that happens is after the jump they like cut to like a close up of Tom when he's falling yeah. and he's like I'm trying to get away from this mountain. Is that the part That's you're talking about right there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that actual recorded dialogue from yeah. the jump or, yeah. or is it ADR? Yeah. Did he record it later? It's a combination. It's a combination. In order to dial into it, you needed to have a little bit of ADR at the beginning just to get that energy but as tom said when he was doing it because we we said you know we really should get a clean version just so that we can get people know what you're saying you know let's get the order and he's like i i just i'm never going to get the energy that i've got when i'm the wind is blowing in my face <laughs> and i'm trying to shout over the wind that is for real <laughs> so we 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 took the line that he recorded and we just ended up shaving it just so that it's the beginning so you get that he's saying something but Weirdly, you kind of dial into it because you know it's there. And, you know, the mixer did some, Chris did some great work squeezing out as much of the distortion. But actually, the distortion helps you believe yeah. the reality of it. Yeah. The reality of it is, and weirdly, I think what Tom was reacting to when he was listening to the mix was that he's, the energy of his voice sounded slightly false to the to the impact of the wind on the cup. So he's like, he said, I'm telling you, guys, when you're falling that fast, the wind is deafening. It is, it's ripping your ears. So the moment he heard that wind at our, at our exaggerated level, he's like, yes, because I wouldn't shout that loud if it wasn't that loud in my face. Right. And, you know, you, he's the only actor, producer, you know, that I've worked with who does stunts like that and knows what it should be. And so you've got to go, yeah. Okay, I've never done it. I don't know what it sounds like, but <laughs> he has. I'll take his word for it. So that was that was a great. That, I mean, it was funny. I thought it was like, oh, this is great. This is actually comedy. The timing is great. The device and virtually zero explosive wind. The fact that you don't hear the bike crash land on the rocks, which we had at one point, and it was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, wow! <laughs> because there were six of them down there, six of these bikes. But that was great. That was a really good. There were loads of great moments where you where you push the envelope a bit more than you normally would, and you kind of you watch it go. Oh, actually, it's really cool. I get it. I believe in there. I really believe it. We'll be back with more from James Mather after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. 
We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders like Emma Stone, Paul Giamatti, and America Ferreira. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Well, I wanted to ask about the train sequence, obviously, and also how many train whistles were too many train whistles? Because <laughs> there is a lot of whistling. Oh, in that there were so many more. Yeah, there were oh, more. really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had, we had, it was a big deal getting the right whistle. That took a while and that took a lot of auditions and demos and experimenting because obviously the train whistle has so many different reasons to exist. It's trying to tell one story. A runaway train out of control we know it's the guard blah 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 so it should be on turns but it also dramatically on a long shot where ethan's looking down and the train whistles because it's atmospheric and it's beautiful but it's a very different quality to the whistle then than it is when you're right up to the train going past and the whistle goes off and it's like rah, really strong but it has to be the same whistle so that was a test to try and find something that resonated with both close-up urgency and distant Nice, beautiful, wow, what a place. That was the first test. There were certain shots that were completely obvious that's got to be there. That's got to be there. It's got to be there. And then it was like, do we have it there? When the White Widow wakes up and then collapses again, do we have a whistle there? Is there a reason? Does that, is that story? So we sat with McHugh because we all kind of got used to the idea of it being in certain places. And then it was, are we are we overcooking this? Are we undercooking this? So cute and I sat there. We just went, right, here, let's try one there. Uh, okay, let's try one there. Let's try, okay, what about here? I don't know, let's try it. And it's one of those things, that until you run it as a scene, a long scene, you go, what have we done? It's, it's just ridiculous now. And you go, okay, okay, all right. So we've gone too far to the right. Let's find our Goldilocks moment. Let's bring back, and actually... <laughs> We could have had three, and it wouldn't nowhere near enough. We'd have missed plot points. We could have had thirty, obviously way too much, and whatever it was, the twelve that were in there seemed at the time to have their moment in different perspectives. And there might have been a few too many. There might <laughs> be, but that's that's. No, I mean, you got an epic train scene. I think you need the whistles. You got to have them. You gotta have it. You Carl, have Charles it. is a real apologist for this whistle. I'm gonna say that you are right, James. There were a little too many whistles, <laughs> and I think that I don't know. I'm subjective. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, that's the thing that people are focused on while enjoying the most amazing train sequence of all time. The incredible train sequence. Yeah. Incredible yeah. train sequence. I mean, there was there were a lot of aspects of that that also the trains the train becoming a runaway train the train losing control and starting to go faster and faster and those you know it's not until you start trying working that scene and making that storyline parallel to ethan's urgency to get help grace to to, 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 to get the key to, to there's all these urgent moments all building together and you have to really sculpt carefully so that it's not just a barrage of everybody hurtling towards the same, you know, finale. And it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a huge scene that finishes in such style with such cojones and 
<laughs> jeopardy. And, you know, it's it was hard to think of a scene, how anything was going to top some of the scenes that we've done. And then when that came in, it was like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. This is the next universe stuff. This is detail. For me, the kitchen, the climb through the kitchen carriage is one of the most fun sound scenes I've ever had the pleasure of working with because it's bonkers and it's it's hilarious squishing lemons and sliding on fat and pulling you know it's just like, <laughs> why, why would this exist <laughs> so much fun so much fun with that and and you know Tom and McHugh and Eddie were so invested in the way that this was going to work and the perspectives and the, you know, how perspectives were going to shift when we're outside and Grace is climbing around through the carriages to get to the front before it goes off the bridge. All that dynamics and all those, um, and you are working in tiny chunks, over and over tiny chunks, and you listen to it at the end and you go, wow, that's just like, it's nonstop. It's... (laughs) It's fabulous. I was always a huge fan of the Wallace and Gromit scene where Gromit's laying tracks as the train's going. Yes. And this is gone there. This is definitely next level. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Simon Pegg uh that's Simon Pegg described to us uh how these movies are made. Uh, well, there is that, yes. There is. <laughs> that's part of the fun of it. Part of new knew the deal, and then we just get to do it over and over and enjoy it. Well, we've heard that there was a there was a car that was taken out of the train sequence for pacing issues. Oh wow! I was wondering if that impacted how you designed that sequence. I didn't miss it. There was talk of taking out the kitchen carriage. That I would that I would have been mortified. At. Yeah, there was, I would not have stood for that. No, absolutely <laughs> not. But there was, yeah, I think there was a car. I think there was one taken out. I mean, it was. The thing is, obviously, once they started piling in the the cutaways on the exterior of of the bridge crumbling and collapsing, along with the carriages landing, that's when it became like uh, another carriage swinging down and landing. That's kind of like we we know what's going to happen, but we need them. We've got to have that story of one after another. And I think that was when it was decided. And I, it, it it doesn't feel curtailed or shortened unnecessarily it's yeah the pacing feels just right yeah i do i feel like maybe it would have been fun for you if there were if that you know if there was one carriage that was like transporting zoo animals that would have been fun <laughs> oh yeah design yeah. the sound for that the piano is enough <laughs> yeah dogs like a, cir- a circus dogs. yeah dogs yes <laughs> i'm gonna suggest it for the next one Yes, we gotta have a cage from a dog somewhere. We got you gotta you gotta you gotta give our dogs Rusty and Nova the best shot for the next one. You gotta put them all over the next movie because if they, if it can't just be one spot because then they'll cut it out and then you know we gotta they gotta make it in. That's right. I reckon. I think you just lay them out on a keyboard and you do the whole mission theme with them. Oh yes, yes. We'll talk to Lauren about that. We'll see if we can. Yeah, yeah. have a word. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're back at it uh, on eight. Yeah. What are you are you looking forward to even bigger challenges? Is there any way to top this one? Oh, yeah. I mean, every film's going to be every story's got a different reason. And I think these guys, these guys are, are masters of their craft, all of them. And I and that includes you. Thank you. 
Yes. What little I know, what little I know, and I'm being very careful there. Uh, I am so excited. I'm so excited about getting our teeth into the same place that we were on the last one in terms of the build and the sculpts and the adrenaline and the and i know that you know after meeting with the guys today they are too so there's a there's a cumulative excitement about working with this one i think you know there's also the, there's also the the luxury and the joy of working on this without having to think about another one right happening you know very close to the end of it this has got this has got more uh, creative space and opportunity around it i'm not saying that that is a good or a bad thing, but it, I think it just knows what's expected and we know what we are going to have to deliver. And it's super, super exciting. It has changed the, the, the style and the, the devices used to have kind of changed in a way. I really love the, the way it's changed with the, with the more people and the more um, narrative through it makes the, it makes the action more emotional strangely from our point of view it feels like we the most absurd action scenes are actually incredibly emotional and very compelling and very you feel very immersed within it and affected by it so i'm super excited any any malfunctioning electronics we can look forward to and i don't know i don't know if it happens you'll hear it (laughs) okay well james thank you so much it was so great to get to chat with you again and we are so excited about the next one if we're in england we're calling you up and please do making you show us your toys yeah yeah i'd love you to come and visit the studio anytime it'd be great awesome cool thanks so much james nice to see you guys take care back sad to see james mather go but we were you know given a little ray of hope at the end of that interview when i said when, when we said we'll come to england and we'll bother you in your shop how about that <laughs> he said yes come on out yes we gotta do that that would be so fun it's uh, always a pleasure to talk to james uh now that we've had him on twice and uh hope to have him on again um you know after dead reckoning part two uh, we'll be talking to him again, I would hope. And um, yeah, I hope everybody understands the amount of work and care that goes into making the sound for these movies. I would want to go to his office and see if I could add some sound effects, Charles. Yeah. You know what I mean? Walking across rocks. I want to be, I want to do the, yeah, I want to do the Foley. Like yeah. I want to go to the little Foley booth and like, you know, rub my feet in the sand and stuff and give them some good, or like, you know, when they, like for like sword stuff, they'll like hit swords into watermelons and stuff. Like I want to do some of that stuff. Yes. <laughs> and then we can save some of those sounds for our radio show. Our radio. Yes. Show. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. We got when we when we uh, see him in England, we got to get him on board in uh, putting together a sound a small sound effects library for us for our radio show. Yeah, I think that'll be great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting, you know, hearing him talk about all of the sound that went in. You know, you think about the big kind of blockbustery stuff, but there's so many subtle things that are in this movie that are just so outstanding and so maybe easy to overlook but like when you get you know dig into it it's just incredible 
Absolutely yeah. incredible. I loved hearing about the bomb in the airport because that's just that sound of the like gears of the thing, like the, you know, the kind of like little like whatever. It's like almost like a slot machine, like the thing, <laughs> the yeah, gears yeah. going around. Like I just love the sound of that. I was it was fun to hear him talk about that, and it was cool to hear him compare the motorcycle jump to the halo jump with the sound cutting out. I think that was what he was compared to the halo jump. Yes. But then he, uh, the, my favorite part of that was hearing the story about. Tom Cruise wanting it to be super loud when they cut into because that's because he ex- he experienced it he knows what that sounded actually sounded like because he was there and did it because he is there's no stunt double it's Tom Cruise doing it and um, you know yeah it's just funny to hear how, how he was like yeah we put it up super loud not like thinking there's no way and then Tom Cruise being like yes that's it that's what it sounded like <laughs> so great he's such a great guy and he was very generous with his time. Um, yeah, those are all the sound secrets, I feel like, of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. We got them. Yeah. We got them, baby. Yeah, good stuff. So anyway, thank you, everybody, for uh, this ride that we've been on. This has been amazing. Uh, we got more episodes coming up. We do. I want to remind everybody that there are brand new episodes of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, every Tuesday. Wherever you get your podcasts, please follow us on social media at Light the Fuse Pod on whatever platform you are on. I will leave that ambiguous, but I will let you find us. We're everywhere. <laughs> at Light the Fuse Pod. That's us Light basically everywhere. Everywhere. Light the Fuse Pod. And please be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you are listening to this podcast because it really helps us out. And you know what? Just tell people about it. Just drop it into conversation. Um, yeah. If you see an opening, just just do it. You know. Be casual about it, though. You know, like try to find a good sneaky way to bring up podcasts in general, maybe, and then be like, "Oh, wow! You know, there's a podcast I'm really loving that I've been listening to called Light the Fuse. You should check it out." And then someone will stare at you and they'll say, "You know, the Mission Impossible franchise." And then you go into an explanation. <laughs> yep. They get really worked yep. up. They get excited about the yep. possibility, and yep. then they come back, and here we are. So we'll yep. be here. Uh, come on back. <laughs> Yeah, and we've got, uh, as we've said before, we've got back catalog episodes coming up. We've cleared some awesome interviews coming up that you're going to be able to listen to. And uh, right here on the main feed, we're very excited about that. And uh, some other surprises on the way. All right, Charles, is that it? Are we ready to ready to go? Yeah, I think we're ready to go. Goodbye, right. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. Our supervising producer is Abby Smith. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, Paul Giamatti, and America Ferreira. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, Listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now.